one, it, it organically creates opportunity. And two, it creates the most difficult asset to acquire from other people, which in the currency that I believe is the most uh, expensive to acquire is trust. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Hey, Joey, welcome to the show. My man. What's up, Caleb? Thank you for yeah. having me. I, I have to say, meeting you was so special to me. I, and I want to just bring, bring my audience in. I'm in Austin at a conference that I probably shouldn't be. I'm like, I'm like the one kid in the room with a bunch of amazing entrepreneurs. And I remember sitting down and talking with you and, and getting your story. And faith is aligned. You're mm-hmm. killing it in business. You're you're really you're really winning. But the thing that really like stood out about you to me is when you invited me to that mastermind. And sure. it's funny, we're gonna talk about scaling, we're gonna talk about empathy. And you so beautifully had an event that brought people in where I, I met some amazing people that I'm doing business with that future growth is gonna happen and that's all tied back to you. And so Joey. It is, it is a pleasure having you on, and I'm super pumped for the conversation that we're going to have. Well, shoot, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, that was just where all the stars aligned, man. I think that um, meeting you the first day we were there and then just finding out how, many, how much alignment. I think, I think it was one of those things where we walked up to the, the buffet food line. We just happened to be next to each other, started talking, finding out we had all this stuff in common, especially from a faith perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, just how we do business. And then we're both still in our twenties. Um, right. you know, it might be a couple of years ahead, but not far. Right. And, uh, just realized that we were very aligned. And so no, man, it, the pleasure was mine. I, uh, we had a lot of fun, both at the event we were at and at the mastermind and playing ping pong, then, playing ping pong. Cause you're a baller at ping pong. I, I have to say I'm, I'm, my streak is still alive. I, there's multiple people <laughs> that have played me on ping pong on, on the show and I haven't lost yet. So yeah. if you're listening to this and you're good at ping pong, hit me up. I will, I will lose to you. He's the truth. Cause I was undefeated until I played him and then he, he slapped me around a couple of times and I was like, all right, I'm nowhere near. It's sometimes it's good to have that. Right. It's the, I need that, the humility, the ego, right. Ego balloon pop. So, so why don't you give the origin story, kind of give a little bit of background on who you are, what your business does, but then I really want to jump into this empathy driven and you, you have it empathy driven sales because that's what your business is. But I, I really want to get deep as like, how can we take this principle and really master this idea of better wealth? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So me, I'm Joe Gilkey, uh, live in the humble city of Knoxville, Tennessee with my wife, my golden retriever. Uh, we are pregnant. So we are expecting here in August. Um, so that's exciting. We'll be a family of three and a half. If you count a dog as a half, I, do um, a dog. I don't need <laughs> Dude, it. I, I was super against it until I got her. Adeline is the dog's name. Uh, now I'm pretty attached. So I told myself I'd never be a dog person. Now I am, unfortunately. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I live in Knoxville, Tennessee. I own a few companies, uh, mainly the main one that uh, most people know me for is tribe. Um, Tribe. Essentially, we help B2B companies land six and seven figure deals, aka just elephant whale deals, if you will. Uh, and we do that with their dream clients. So we're targeting a very small percentage of their total addressable market. Uh, and we help them actually land those by being their outsourced sales agency, essentially. So we could dive a little more deep in that later. But that's in a nutshell who we are 30,000 feet. I kind of got there by accident. 
So uh, my career has, has almost entirely, 95% of it has been uh, high ticket sales. Mm-hmm. So super high uh, value products and services. Um, I kind of had the opportunity to, when I started um, in, in my career, I was in full-time ministry actually, mm-hmm. uh, left full-time ministry and my first job uh, was selling to Fortune 1000 companies. I was selling really high ticket IT services um, and recruiting in HR products and services. Um, had a lot of luck there really fast. Uh, got poached by a local small, so that company had 4,000 employees. It was a big corporation. Uh, I got poached by a small business to do risk management consulting and commercial insurance. Uh, Super sexy. (laughs) So I was on the property and casualty side doing risk management and selling commercial insurance policies on the back of that uh, risk assessment and risk um, management consulting that we're doing. Uh, Did really well there. Uh, took that company out as the only business development person there from 1 million ARR to 9.5 in about 18 months. So, um, and all this will weave in empathy driven sales and how that was an impact on all that. But, and the next job I took was a VP of sales job for a digital marketing agency. Now I say 95% high ticket sales because I eventually pretty much did the same thing there. I forexed their revenue in about nine to 10 months and decided, well, I'm making this guy a lot of money. Let me go start my own digital marketing agency. And so I kind of got off the train of high ticket sales, except for I was still doing high ticket sales for my own company, but I was also trying to deliver these digital marketing services. So building on advertising funnels and that type of stuff, realized I could sell it really easily and hated delivering it. Mm -hmm. And I was in a mastermind with other agency owners, realized that um, what I had was a gift, which was the ability to sell um, and sell these high stakes uh, services, high value. And they loved delivering what they hated selling. And so I was like, well, let me just try this, you know? And so started charging 500 bucks a month, super low, low ticket uh, to them just to kind of prove it out, proved it out pretty quickly, landed some big deals for some of my friends who are agency owners. They said, Hey, you should keep doing this. So I did. And out came tribe prospecting, wow. uh, which has since then been rebranded to tribe. And now we charge 25,000 a month instead of 500. Wow. And, and you guys have, you guys are responsible for over $1.3 billion and counting of yep. sales. Yep. And new business ops. So we, we really dialed in for the past three years. Um, just by the nature of how we do sales is fundamentally different. And so um, mm. we're going for, while the rest of the market's going for high volume, low conversion. So they're targeting a lot of people hoping for a 1% conversion on that massive outreach. Uh, we're going low volume, high conversion, um, mm. hoping for, uh, much more so higher conversion, not only as turning a prospect into a lead, but also turning a lead into a client, right? Just by the nature of how the, the, the relationship starts. And, so, and it's interesting. And this, this will be amazing because there's a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this. It's, it's what's interesting to me is in, in the business world, we almost have, and I think it's because of this whole click funnel movement or whatever, <laughs> where it's like, throw like just throw spaghetti at the wall and you'll get a bunch of people and then and then some people go down the funnel and which is fine but especially if you're in a business that is has higher ticket yep it's i i'm i'm just thought your initial thoughts on the way that most people do marketing and if you're listening to this like what is that nugget that you can give someone to say wait sh- shift your thinking and like what if you did this one thing right sure like how would that transform your business yeah so you're exactly right. And I actually always use ClickFunnels as an example. Poor ClickFunnels community. I, I don't, 
uh, I don't speak too highly of them usually. <laughs> There's a lot of great people in that community. It's just not my, uh, not my cup of tea. So you're exactly right. So most folks, again, it's high volume, low conversion. Their methodology is be extremely tactic centric, meaning pick your tactic you want to dump everything into, say it's Facebook ads or it's LinkedIn automation or whatever it might be. And it's sprint, optimize, sprint, optimize, sprint, optimize, and hoping to go from 0.5% conversion to 1.5, which, mm -hmm. you know, would, would be substantial increase, but that's not the type of business I care to, to run. Right. In the world of high ticket sales, and I, and I explain high ticket sales as north of $10,000 per transaction. Um, my company specializes in six figures and up transaction, but I would say this applies to anybody with, you know, more than a couple of grand. We're not selling a $49 SaaS product, you know? And so in this world, I'm actually semi anti digital marketing. And I don't mean that from a, I differentiate brand from digital marketing. I think that brand is important. Like I'm writing a book that's marketing. I'm, I've got a podcast that's marketing. Um, you know, we're creating content that's marketing, but for me, I'm not trying to run people into a funnel and just see who pops at the bottom, right? Like I personally believe if you want to have a dream business, you need to have dream clients and dream clients don't come in through a funnel. Yeah. Dream clients come in through very strategic positioning and actually knowing exactly who your dream clients are, identifying them and then creating strategy around that in my opinion. So when I, when I talk to people about shifting how they do marketing, um, I think the easiest way to say is stop going one to many and go one to one. Mm think about the actual target. We have a, a full process for this. It's nine steps, but the first one is you have to define the persona. So who was the profile of your dream client? Don't stop at demographics, but think through psychographics. So pain points, goals, what's their, their average day look like? What type of content do they read? What are the actual consequences if they don't solve those pain points? If you can start aligning yourself with that dream client profile and then identifying the target accounts that fit that profile, and then take it a step further and, and splitting those up into small batches or cohorts. Um, a lot of people do generic segmentation. So when I say segmentation, it's, let's say hypothetically, I, there's 10,000 people in my market I can sell to. You can segment that into 10 different segments of a thousand, you know, maybe it's geographic or it's revenue size. I, I believe in super small batch cohorts. Like mm. I might only target 10 accounts. Oh, wow. Not a thousand. Yeah. Okay. I might only target but then, 10 but then you're like customizing each 100% custom. And yeah, I love that. It man. does oh. not scale. And we'll get into the book that I'm writing soon, but it does not scale. And I love the fact that it doesn't scale because most people won't do what we're willing to do. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll stop there, but we, okay. that's, that's the biggest well, advice is one. -to -one. I'm curious. I, I'm curious because we're building our whole marketing and I think sometimes I get caught up in the tactics and say, mm -hmm. okay, I want to drive people to a webinar and, and like some, something deep down inside of me, like knows that that just doesn't sit right. Sure. Because the people that we've, that have come into our community that have been clients, like they love us, but it's like, how, how do you have more people get that epiphany? Because I, I want to scale. But totally. I, I don't necessarily want to scale. Like I don't I don't care how we scale. I just want to do it the most effective way. So that's going to drive us into the empathy driven sales. Mm -hmm. And I want I want you to define that because I relate so much with that. Yep. And also let's go let's take it a step deeper and say, listen, if you're one thing that we firmly believe in is that you are your greatest asset. It's like the number one investment you can make is in yourself. Yes. And like how, if you believe that to be true, how can you take this principle, regardless if you're, you run your own business, you're investing, regardless, how do you take this empathy driven 
and take your life to the next level. But let's first define what empathy-driven sales is. Yep, exactly. So empathy-driven sales, we'll start with the word empathy. I mean, we hear it thrown around a bunch. Gary Vee talks about it. Um, it. It's somewhat of a buzzword, but I've always been a believer that buzzwords are buzzwords for a reason, right? Like they have actual meaning behind it. Some people just take the buzzwords and utilize them out of context. But if we think about empathy, I think about my wife, right? I would not have a solid relationship with my wife if I was not willing to place myself in her shoes and her seat to understand why she feels the way she feels, uh, why she thinks the way she thinks, why she does the things she does. Because if, if a relationship is based entirely on me, I'm not willing to put myself in their position. Our relationship's only built on the foundation of me. Yep. And, and so if I want a, a chance to be around 20, 30, 40 years from now with my wife, I need to be able to express empathy. Uh, and so empathy is that it's that act of putting yourself in the position of the person across the table from you. And, and that could be, you could call it the market. So having empathy with your market, um, that just helps you to just like overall positioning in the marketplace. If you can understand the market as a whole, mm-hmm. but then it goes a layer deeper. It's empathy with the target accounts you want to go up. It's empathy with the decision, you know, the key players in that account. And so with empathy driven sales, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. Like we are driven by under trying to go as deep as we can into the individuals in the marketplace in which we want to work. So, so go ahead. What's the difference between get it, like going through the niche target market and that a lot of marketers t- take you through? It's like you have to know who that like some mm-hmm. people go as far as to say like what conversations are they having? What are they doing? Like is that is it just a different way to say like get really really clear on your niche? Don't focus on the tactics. You have to understand the person because if you truly understand the person, you're going to market and yeah provide a product or a service in such a way that's truly going to serve them? Yeah. So I think a lot of folks, when they think about, and that's a great question. A lot of folks, when they think about like, they call it ideal customer profiles or ICPs, right? Yep. I want to take that a step further as a dream client. So I think that dream clients oftentimes, and this, this is case by case, but what we find mostly with our clients is a dream client typically lives at the intersection of price, trust, and need. So price being, there is oftentimes, if you're to look at a, a bell curve cut in half, um, and this is going to be hard to really tell the picture of it, but if you're looking at a bell curve, if you know what that is, cut in half, there is at the bottom of the bell curve where there's, it's very skinny from the bottom. If you look at an X and a Y axis, um, along the bottom is very skinny and then it ramps up and gets really, really high. If uh, the vertical part of that is price and the horizontal part of that is uh, percentage of the marketplace, usually the very, very top of the bell curve where it is essentially hitting its crest, there's about 1% of your market whom you can charge and who will pay an astronomical amount more than the other 99% of the market. It's between mm-hmm. 1% and 5% usually. And so one, who are those one percenters that, you know, instead of paying you $3,000 for your service, will pay you $300,000 for your service. So price is one. The next is, is trust. Who are the types of folks who are going to trust your expertise? Most people, and I'm going to talk more in the digital marketing agency space. There's this thing called scope creep, which we've all probably heard up to some degree. Scope creep is where you agree on this thing. And the next thing you know, they try to, you know, you give them an inch to take a mile. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, you're losing money because you're doing more than you scoped out. Mm-hmm. Um, trust is they trust you to be the expert. 
So they, they let you do your best work, which also is in parallel with the third part, which is need. Hmm. So one, do you actually solve in a big yep. way some of their biggest pain points? And so if you can find those folks that live at that intersection, uh, and that takes a lot of deep research and intelligence gathering, um, you will find your dream client. And so I usually break a market into four different categories. There's your total addressable market, which is say there's a total of 10,000 people in your market. Mm-hmm. Then you have your commoditized market, the folks who will pay you to solve a problem, but they're not going to pay you very much and they're going to be the biggest pain. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we all know I, those people. I know, I, yep, I, I know those people. <laughs> then you have your ideal market, which is kind of what everyone else is targeting, which is it's still a, a decent amount of volume, uh, but it's usually ideal because they can pay you enough. They usually hit the price to some degree. Um, but trust and need don't usually mark. And then there's the very small one to 5% of your market, which is your dream, what I would consider the dream market. And so that's really where we live is, is trying to find out and do a lot of intelligence gathering on who are those folks um, that live within that. So back to your original question, um, and I don't want to get too winded here, but what most people are doing is they're finding the ideal market. So maybe out of 10,000, there's 1,000 ideal market. And the dream market, maybe there's 200. So in that 1,000... Yes, they're trying to understand the types of personas, but they still want to attach automation to the outreach. So they still say, okay, there's a thousand total people here. If we just segment these thousand into five different personas, so 200 per persona, if we can create enough context in our outreach, we can send automated email campaigns that are essentially really, uh, they're tailored to that persona, but they're not tailored to that exact account, right? Yep. That is what 99% of organizations do. And that's still slightly more effective than just mass blast, you know, spray and pray, but it's still not, it's not one-to-one. You're not going to get 30% conversion rates like we do. Yes. But the pushback on that is, are you, is, can you show that it's actually, you're making more money by doing that? hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so, so one of the phrases that I like to use is scale the unscalable. Mm-hmm. So we are actually unbelievably um, inefficient in certain areas because we personally bomb bomb, like we personally send videos to people that opt in. Like, so, and we're not necessarily like, I need to talk to you offline about certain mm-hmm. things that have come up. Sure. I'm like, yeah, we need to, we need to do this. We need to do this. But w- when, so you're, you're making the statement. Yes. The goal is to impact more people. Like yeah. I want, I want a million people to be insured in the next five years. Like that's yeah. a crazy goal. How would totally. you take, how would you take this concept and actually, is it just starting with the one to 5% and then getting them and before you go on to your next group? Right. Well, I think B2C is a little different for one. I think you're not going to reach a million people necessarily through my approach. Right. Okay. So the way that I, so what people usually say is that doesn't scale. Right. Um, and I say, damn right. And that's the way I want it. You know, like that's for me, because I think that you can scale in one of two, you can maybe call it three ways. One is through automation systems and processes. The other is through charging way more systems and processes. And so what I used to charge $3,000 a month, I now have, it's a more robust service, but I've now solved a bigger pain point for a bigger type of company. And now I can charge 25 to 50,000 a month. Totally. Um, so that's how I scale my revenue. And obviously my EBITDA, like my multiple on my company is way better than when I was charging 3000 a month. Yeah. Because it's easier to, it's, it's fewer clients, mm-hmm. i.e. fewer headaches that are paying you more. Correct. So that's how I believe in scale. The other part, I guess you can, you can call it as people, yep. right? So you either have tools like automation tools and technology, 
which is what most people go because it's easier and cheaper, but I think it hurts in the long run mm -hmm. because automations eventually break and that causes headaches too. And you have to just, you can't charge, you nearly, you can't charge nearly as much as you could if you were just doing manual custom work. It's just not how it works. Right. The other part is you hire people to do those, those unscalable things and that's how you scale. So let's, let's unpack this idea of empathy and this concept of regardless of like what the key takeaway in, in my opinion to this whole deal is getting super clear in what you want. Yes. And then sometimes this is common. This is like a common example in the wealth space. Someone will say, I want to, I want to put my money in the market so I can get a better rate of return. Like their metric mm -hmm. is rate of return, but you and I both know that you can't spend a rate of return and it doesn't really tell you what you actually want. So right. what we do is we get clear on, okay, what do you actually want out of life? And then when you can clarify that, then it's a whole, like, we may put your money in the market or we may, there may be another idea or like avenue that you go down. We don't care necessarily the avenue that's giving you the result. And what you're saying is so many businesses, including mine, I'll put my, what I'm doing is we're focusing on the wrong things when we're doing marketing. Like we're mm -hmm. saying we want one thing, impact, but yet we're doing it in a super inefficient and expensive way. And as a result, we're wanting to bang our head against the wall because the people that are calling in aren't not all ideal. Sure. Like, so I'm sure like yeah. this is so, but I just want the person listening, like this idea of empathy is maybe you need to have, be empathetic with yourself first. Yeah. I think self-awareness is, self-awareness is an, well, for one, I think you have to have self-awareness to be empathetic towards others, right? Yes. You cannot serve other people if you don't know how you can serve them. And you can't know how you can serve them if you don't know you, right? And what you can offer. But I do think, yeah, like applying this to yourself is is the first thing we can do. And, and we kind of mentioned tactics earlier about how um, most people are tactic dependent. Like tactics, you have to do tactics to win, right? At the end of the day, you have to get your message in front of people in one way or the other. My belief is that if you, but if you know who you serve, the tactics don't necessarily matter over the long haul because I want to have a sustainable company that's around for a long time. Like you said, you want to impact a million people. You're not going to do that in one or two years. That's going to take an investment over time and you need to be sustainable to be along, you know, for the ride that long. And so for me, my belief is that yes, have tactics, have things that are working, never fall in love with those tactics, never be dependent on those things. But if you are obsessed with knowing your customer you're always going to know if that tactic stopped working. Okay. Well that person still exists. So they put their time and energy somewhere else. Where'd they put it? How do I get in front of them? And so I think that's, I don't even know if that answered your question as much yeah. as um, that's where, so yes, you need to be empathetic with yourself. If that, if that's even the right phrase that we should use as being empathetic with yourself, but that makes total sense is do you understand yourself and what your core values are truly? And are you, you know, are you actually doing what you preach? Let's, let's go write a book after you launch your next one. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> I, I hate writing a book, man. I'm trying, but it's hard. I know you've experienced it. Oh yeah, it's it's the worst, but it, it's it's going to be pretty. It's it's pretty special to see people mm -hmm. get impacted by your message. So okay, so we're going to take anything else that you want to add on this whole empathy driven because I I think dude that's profound and that's at the base of what you're what you how you live your life and how you run yeah. this and it's super evident by the way like we met once at a conference, like we spent a couple of days together, but mm -hmm. it's super, super evident in the way that you live your life. Like this is a core and relationships and are everything. Away. Yes. It's everything. You know, I, I believe that your dream, you know, this is for entrepreneurs, but I believe your dream business is on the other side of genuine real relationships. Um, unfortunately, I think that we try to 
um, automate and scale ourselves out of the thing that is the most important to us, which is the relationship. Um, and we can go on a whole other tangent another time, and maybe that's another time that we could talk about it. But I believe that we're so fixated on acquisition mm-hmm. and so too fixated, we're not fixated enough on retention. Yeah. Statistics show that a 5% increase in retention, depending on your industry, can be between a 30 and a 100% increase in profitability. Because it's so much more expensive right. to lose a client and then go replace that client just to get back to break even of where you were at than it is to just keep that client that you already spent all the money acquiring. Yeah. Um, the same idea of a, as a team member. It's yeah. so Employees expensive. Employees are so expensive to lose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's, that's why people love automation and tools because you can get rid of people. But at the end of the day, people are what makes me be able to charge 30000 a month. <laughs> 100%. Let's talk about this idea of your your mastermind mm-hmm. concept of of having dinner and and just real quick because this is something that I'm starting to do and I'm seeing some really smart people do this. Yeah. Um and I think it's I think it's brilliant. I think it's playing the long game. So why don't in in 2 minutes or so give the yeah. overview of that concept because I think people cool. like this is a this is a write down moment if you're listening. If, yeah. Like, this this will move the needle for your business, especially in high ticket sales. Um, if relationships are what drives revenue for you. So strategic partnerships, uh, potential clients, uh, you know, brand ambassadors and, and advocates for your brand. So I travel a lot and, and travel is exhausting. It's expensive, um, it, but it's necessary in my line of business. And so for me, because I traveled all these big cities all over the world, my goal has become, if I'm gonna spend the time and the money to be in that city, why not spend a little bit more time, just a slight bit more time, a slight bit more money, a couple grand and, and create an experience in an evening that brings really high powered people into the same room with me that instantly comes with trust and authority. The moment that you're throwing the party, I think Gary V actually talks about this. He, I think he's mentioned it once or twice. Mm-hmm. He calls it the high school party rule. Yep. And it's really this whole principle of like it, back in high school, if you weren't a cool kid, but your parents were out of town and you had the open house and you threw the house party and you invited the cool kids, you became the cool kid. Mm-hmm. It's similar principle is when I go to, to a city that I know I'm either visit again or that just has a, a, a dense population of people I want to be in front of, throw a party with 12 to 15 people in the room, spend two to three grand, uh, rent out a really sweet space, which we had a pretty awesome one in Austin. Yeah. Uh, pay for their dinner and have a one night mastermind four hours where uh, you're, you're get to know people, you have good drinks, you're breaking bread with one another, but then you're also trying to work on each other's businesses. And it just, when you do that, one, it, it organically creates opportunity. Yep. And two, it creates the most difficult asset to acquire from other people, which in the currency that I believe is the most uh, expensive to acquire is trust. Mm. And so for me, if I can bring 12 people in a room and gain their trust instantly by being valuable to, to them in the sense that I'm helping them be a connector, you know, I'm helping them create opportunity. Like you're going to walk away from that night with a couple of potential deals and, and opportunities um, yeah. just from that one evening. Like that's valuable to me because I'm seeing that happen. That's the definition of, of being an empathetic, yeah. valuable person is I'm not just in it for me. I'm in it for you. And so that's what I do. I think if, if more people did that, they would see a transformation. It's, it's expensive, you know, yeah. between flights, yeah. rental cars, staying the night, dinner, the venue. I mean, it's an extra three or four grand every time I travel, but the money that comes at the back end just from 
not even money, but just the, the currency of trust is right. so much more valuable to me. And yes, money flows with trust. Yes, I love that. That's, that's a mic drop moment in itself. Um, let's talk about your book that's going to be coming out, uh, Scale to Fail. Mm-hmm. I think you touched a little bit on it earlier. Uh, okay. You threw some punches at, at some people in the industry. Uh, okay. but, but listen, like, talk about the concept of this scale to fail. Yeah, so the preface in the book is always going to be, I am not anti-scale. I, I wouldn't say I'm even anti-automation, anti-technology. Uh, anti-system processes. In fact, I, I think all those things are valuable. It's just inappropriately prioritized in our yeah. life. And so I think books like Built to Sell or um, The E-Myth um, have 80% amazing principles. Amazing principles. They should be applied. They need to be applied. And there's a 20% there, which I think is, is valuable in the right context. Unfortunately, most of us take it and utilize it in the wrong context. And it's this everything that can scale should, right? And, and I totally disagree with that. Um, I don't think that everything should scale because I think that the more that we scale and automate and put technology behind things, the further away we get from relationships yep. uh, and the further we get away from relationships, the harder it is to acquire, harder it is to charge more, harder it is to keep clients if you do acquire them. And so I think that unfortunately, scale to fail it's essentially my anthem that I'm trying to push up against this narrative that everyone's obsessed with, which is we need to scale everything. Yeah. And so, no, I don't believe that if you try to scale your business, you will fail. However, I think that if scale is your obsession and it's not people first, it's not relationships first, it's not being an empathetic individual in the marketplace, you will fail. You won't be around for the long haul. Businesses aren't sustainable right. on technology, period. Yeah. Because and- at the end of the day, something will break. And I'm sure empathy is going to be at the foundation of the print of what you're going to 100%. write. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, what's interesting. Uh, we've both read Robert Kiyosaki's books. Mm-hmm. And when you talked, I, I, it went to his concept of, you know, don't work for someone and do business and a- invest in assets. And by the way, that's a good, those are good principles, but mm-hmm. you and I both know that there's, there's very few people that should be true entrepreneurs and there it's nothing wrong with, working for someone or maybe totally. doing a non-typical route. And it goes back to having empathy and self-awareness on what you want. Right. And, and so it's funny, you, you mentioned, um, um, you know, Michael Gerber's book and, and I'm, I'm just thinking, man, like there's so many people that I wish they could like see the big picture, but mm-hmm. not just be so literal on certain things. Cause I really think it's hurting our industry. And I think there's people that are failing, losing a lot of money and going through a lot of hurt yep. because they're, they don't know themselves. Or they have the boom and bust cycle, which um, boom and bust cycle happens on a micro level with technology and tactics, which is why I always say never fall in love with tactics because everything has its boom and then it's bust. Google AdWords, you know, back in 2002, yep. you know, you could get things for a five cent, you know, cost per click. Now, even if, you, you know, now it, it can cost you 30 to $130 a click. Yep. And yet people are still spending money there because they fell in love at one point with the fact that it worked and it's really hurting them today. If yep. they would have moved to Facebook 10 years ago or eight years ago, they'd experience the same thing. Now Facebook's starting to fall off a little bit. Now it's LinkedIn and LinkedIn's the big craze. And if you get attached to LinkedIn, yep. three to five years from now, it's going to be so saturated. It's already becoming saturated that the effectiveness drops. It's just boom and bust. And the same thing goes with businesses is you might have a big boom year. And if you're not prepared to, and you're not creating sustainability in your business through, in my opinion, relationships and empathy, you will eventually have the bust. Yep. Uh, and so you might have that, that, that lifestyle business you really want where you're on a beach 
sipping martinis, but then two years later, no one's going to know who you are. Yep. Yep. I love it, man. Um, really curious to hear your, your answer to this as I have a ton of respect for your business and, and how you've built wealth is how do you define better wealth? Like what does the word better wealth bring to your mind? Stewardship. Yep. I think that, and you and I align this from a faith perspective, but I think that one, I think money is a good thing. Um, I think that in our world, the Christian world where we come from, sometimes money can be viewed as a bad thing. Um, it's only a bad thing if it's manipulated from its original purpose, which is to be a vehicle for, for impact. Um, there's nothing wrong with accumulating wealth. And, and that's the first thing you have to understand. The second thing is, as a Christian, at least for my opinion on how I believe better wealth is I have to realize it's not mine. Yep. You know, I, I'm an ambassador for the person who gave it to me, you know, which I believe is God. And so um, I want to be a good steward of it. You know, if I look at the, the story in Genesis of Adam and Eve, he gave Adam and Eve two commandments. One was to have sex and multiply. That's great. The second is to uh, work, work the garden. Here's your garden. Here's all the animals, the plants, subdue it, uh, take care of it, make it more beautiful and make it flourish. Right. I believe that our work is for the purpose of flourishing uh, and making our garden more beautiful than when we received it to give it back to the person who gave it to us. So in my opinion, my money is part of my garden, mm. right? My goal is to make it flourish and multiply. And I think that that ties all the way back into empathy driven. I think that you who solve the greatest problem uh, for the most amount of people have money flowing to you more than anyone else. And so I believe that if I can change the narrative in people's mind to be more empathy driven, I'm solving a big problem. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, I've only got a couple of years of use case behind this at this point, but I think that the, the trends are telling me uh, that I'm solving a big problem and the money is flowing. And, you know, I just want to continue to be a good steward of that. I don't want to ever take it for granted. Yep. I want to realize that, you know, though I'm putting in effort, um, all the opportunity that comes from me, I'm not self-made. One, right. there's people around me. Totally. Uh, but, but two, I have a creator that's given me these opportunities, these skill sets, the, the people around me, uh, the abilities. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I would say better wealth means to me. That's, that's powerful, man. The, the word that comes to my mind or the phrase is value economy. It's if we can provide value, mm. like not only will the things that we want come into play, but like money will flow because money is just a, just a scorecard, quite frankly, for the value creation mm -hmm. that you create in the world. Yeah, people. 100%. I think so. Um, For those wondering my political views, that's where my political views lie. <laughs> that's true, though. Um, okay, so, any, anything else you want to talk about on that on that front? No, I mean, I would, I would give you, and you didn't ask me to do this at all, but uh, I think what you are doing is you're educating the market on, uh, well, one, you're not being partial to investment strategies. I think that, you know, obviously you have some that work, but I think one thing that I've, in our conversations that I've, that's your book right here, actually, right, um, <laughs> you know, reading through it and looking through infinite banking and stuff like that. Like I, I believe wholeheartedly that you care deeply about making an impact on folks. And so I want to give you a shout out because I think that you are embodying your name, which is you are uh, a better wealth solution because you're not tied to any tactic and you actually care about the people you serve because you want to help them create more impacts and have more influence and uh, more money to be a vehicle for more impact. I, I really appreciate that, man. Um, the last question that I end all my podcasts with are, it's, it's called the legacy question. And it goes like this, this is your last day on earth. You know, it for a fact, you're with the people that you love the most and you're sharing with them 
one conversation on the things that you've learned and what you want to mm. pass on before you leave, what's that conversation going to look like? And um, how's that going to go? That's a great question. Um, I'll probably start it off with, uh, let's go meet Jesus. <laughs> and then uh, from there, you know, I think if I'm, if I'm actually teaching a lesson of, and, and I actually think about this fr- frequently in, in the terms of like, if I have the privilege of sitting on my deathbed and reflecting on my life, I hope that uh, I can look back on it and be proud. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at that point it might be too late cause we're all going to die. But I think that if I could leave something with them is um, I hope you ran the race well. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, money is a vehicle, but it is not your identity uh, impact as well. Impact is a vehicle. It's, it's not your identity. Um, I think on a more micro level, it's don't productize relationships. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, you cannot have impact on people uh, if you do not have a relationship with people. Um, you might be able to on a, and a relationship doesn't mean you have to actually have a conversation with them necessarily. Like some, I've had authors who've had impacts on me who have never talked to. Right. Um, but I think that they understood me and my problems so much so that they put into a book that then served me, but they couldn't have done that if they didn't know my, me, like my type of person. And so yeah, I would say at that point, it's probably too late to change anything in your life, but I hope that you ran it well and uh, yep. you prioritized people. Yep. Yep. I, I, I love that, man. And and you said something, don't productize a relationship. Mm-hmm. That That's a book title in itself. Yeah, I actually had someone tell me that the other day too, because I, I like to use that phrase. I use that phrase on my team and they're like, oh, dude, you should write that down. I was like, yeah, because okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, this is, and I'll just use us as an example. No agenda on either end. I guarantee you what we're going to be able to do together through our relationship mm-hmm. and friendship are going to be far greater than some random person that sees a Facebook ad that comes into one of our funnels. That's so right. that's the point. It's like no agenda. And yet it's, it's super powerful. So thank you for living that out. Um, I'm going to have your name here. What's the best way for people to connect with you? Thank you. And um, buy your future book when it comes out. I mean, we'll, we'll the, yeah, I, sure. I want to help you promote that for sure. Yeah, I'll be done. Our, actually, my personal brand website is being revamped. And right now it's in shambles, but it will be joeygilkey.com. Um, I will have free books uh, on there as well for folks. But outside of that, connect me on LinkedIn between now and then. So it's uh, linkedin.com forward slash I in forward slash Joey Gilkey. I love it, man. Thank you for being such a go-giver. Thank you for leading with empathy in just our relationship. And I am excited to actually implement some of the things that I've learned uh, just in this conversation with you, because we have a message that I think is going to have a tremendous impact, but Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that the way that we're, we're sharing that message doesn't turn people away and gets people to the heart of what we're really doing. And so thank you, man. I, um, I got tremendous value from this interview. Awesome, brother. Well, I appreciate you having me on, man. I, uh, I really respect what you're doing and uh, love your hustle. And, uh, and I love your hustle because you're not in it for yourself. Uh, you're hustling because you have a bigger why. So thanks for having me on. Thanks for letting me have a little piece of or uh, be, be a little part of that journey for you. And uh, I look forward to the future. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. Make sure you press subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or your favorite podcast player.